so the search for our identity and who we are begins very early in life. Uh, we're born as a, a boy or a girl. We're born as a, a small or a bigger baby, chubby baby. Or, uh, and, and then as we go through life, we have people telling us who we are. We have hopefully loving people telling us, parents and peers and siblings and teachers and coaches and we all are we're being told who we are we get our identity by who you know what people say about us and what we perceive about ourselves so we're smart or we're a good athlete or we don't do well in math or whatever which all kind of goes to our identity so we're kind of we kind of uh, get an identity but we also kind of modify or change that identity as we go through life and you know as me personally, my identity is I'm a pastor, uh, I'm a husband, um, I'm a man, I'm a, a father, and I'm gr a grandfather. And those are some of the identities that I have, but not one of those completely identifies me, right? And so what we want to talk about this weekend is how do we find the identity that God has given us, that God gives us? Because that's really the most important one, is what is the identity that God gives us? Because we often ask questions as we go through life. We ask questions like, well, who am I? Or does my life matter and does anyone really care? We ask those questions. And we ask questions like, is there, is there purpose and meaning to my life? I mean, I'm, I'm going to work, I'm going to school, I'm going through life, but I don't know if there's really any purpose or meaning to it. And so those are all questions we ask. So this weekend, we're going to kind of explore that a little bit. So we're going to review, we're, we're going through the Gospel of Mark. So if you'd like to turn to Mark chapter 8, verse 34, that's where we're going to, actually a little earlier, we're going to go to Peter's confession. And what we're going to do is we're going to revisit Peter's confession just for a minute, because I just want to finish up what we started to talk about last weekend, uh, so we understand kind of what Mark is doing here. Mark is taking a pulse, and he's trying to get a, a read on how the disciples are doing. Are they understanding who Jesus is, and are they understanding his mission? And what I tried to share last weekend was, they're starting to understand who he is, but they're not really getting his mission. And so we want to look at that a little bit, because one of the questions we want to ask is, well, why not? Why, why are they struggling so much with, with the mission that Jesus gives them? Why, why are they having so much trouble with that? So uh, if, whether here now or online, uh, joining us online or at the, uh, one of the campuses, uh, just turn to Mark chapter uh, 8. And I want to start reading at verse 27. This is where we find Peter's confession. And we, we kind of looked at this last weekend. We'll just spend a, a few moments here. Jesus and his disciples went into the villages around Caesarea Philippi on the way that he asked them, well, who do people say that I am? They replied, they replied, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked? Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anybody about him, and then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. 
you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes to the, in his Father's glory with the holy angels. You might want to underline that phrase there where he says, when the Son of Man, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them. When, notice when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. You might want to underline that because it's a significant uh, passage, part of the passage. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, and this is chapter 9, verse 1, Truly I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God uh, has come with power. So the first question you want to ask is, why was, why was Peter confused by the mission of Jesus? He kind of understood who Jesus was, but he didn't understand the mission. So Jesus, you know, Peter identifies him as the anointed one or the Messiah, and Jesus accepts this statement, this, this title that he gives him. But then he goes on to begin to describe his mission, and his mission is to suffer, to die. It's really humiliation and death, and it's not what Peter expected. And what you have to understand is we have to understand the mindset of the Jewish people when Jesus walked this earth. It was very different than maybe what we thought. The Jews in that day thought of the Messiah, the Son of Man, as one who was going to bring deliverance for the Jewish people. So the prophecy of Daniel, remember that phrase I told you to, to underline and think about? Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14 uses a phrase very, very similar to that. And this is what it says. And this is a prophecy of the coming of the Son of Man, uh, the Messiah. In my vision, this is Daniel 7, 13, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worship him. His dominion is, everla his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So we see that Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven, and Jesus answers the angels is becoming too. So this is a very significant messianic passage. And so the idea that Peter and the rest of the Jews had in this day was that Jesus was going to come in power, he was going to come in victory, and uh, essentially Jesus is saying, one day I'm going to return with the angels, and uh, they thought this was the day. This is it's not a return, it's, this is it. <laughs> so Peter and most of the Jews thought that the coming power uh, that Jesus was coming, the Son of Man was coming in power and might. And then Jesus goes on after the confession, and he says, but the Son of Man must suffer and die, and three days be raised. So this is what threw Peter for a loop. How does, this, how does the Son of Man, how does this Messianic figure, how does the Savior for the world do this? And the point that Jesus was bringing, uh, he's bringing two ideas together. He's bringing the idea together, and they, by the way, they're in all the prophets this idea of a suffering Messiah and a victorious Messiah. And so what Jesus is doing for the first time in their presence is he's showing them that the Messiah will suffer. 
They never thought that. They knew this was a new concept to them. And that's why Peter never even thought this was a possibility that the Messiah could suffer. But that's exactly what Jesus was saying. The Jews had no concept of a suffering Messiah. The Son of Man was to come and to make everything right in the world and defeat all evil and injustice. He was not to suffer. And that's why Peter pulls Jesus aside and says, this is not right. So let's talk about the second question. And you probably have, hopefully you have your note sheet. And on, if you join us online, you, you can pull, pull that PDF up. Uh, the second question, and really three questions I'm really asking. Um, the first one was, why is, why is Peter so confused? The second one is, why could the death of Jesus defeat uh, evil and injustice? And so Jesus says something, it's kind of very subtle, but it's really important that you see it in the text. Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to suffer. He doesn't say that. He says, the Son of Man must suffer. In other words, it's not an option. <laughs> he has to do this. This is, this is not something he can choose to, to bypass. Jesus essentially saying is, the world can't be changed and renewed, and your life can't be saved unless I die. This is, this is a, an important point. Jesus is saying, I'm the king, but I'm not like any king you've ever imagined. He's saying, I'm a king headed to a cross. <laughs> it's like, what? And that's essentially what he's saying. The Son of Man must die and in three days be raised, raised up. I'm a king going to a cross. Now, most kings are seated on a throne, right? And Jesus, the King of Kings, got off of his throne from heaven. He came from heaven to earth, and he climbed up on a cross. And in heaven, he was in a throne. On, on, on earth, he was on a cross. And he, so the question is, why? Why did he have to die like that? Couldn't, could, weren't there shortcuts? Weren't there other ways around it? And essentially, no, there weren't. He had to be condemned and sentenced to death by the powers and authorities of this world. So Jesus had to submit himself to the powers and authorities of this world. And that's exactly what he did. He submitted himself to the Jewish leaders and the Roman authorities. And he, uh, but he, gives, he gave up authority and he submitted himself to the powers of this world. And uh, he had to do that. And it's interesting, when when uh, Jesus is brought before Pilate, it's very interesting what Jesus says. And I want to read you that passage. Just write the reference down for future reference. In John chapter 19, it says this. And this is Pilate speaking to Jesus. Where do you come from, he asked Jesus. But Jesus gave no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize? Now notice what Pilate says. Very interesting. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. You see the point that he's making here? Jesus is putting himself under the powers of the world, this world system. And he is going to suffer. Now, as you think about it, there are probably a lot of ways to die. You know, we do lethal injection, we do the electric chair, but the Romans invented the cross, and the cross was probably one of the most inhumane ways that you could ever execute somebody. Um, 
there's, I mean, think about this. He's stripped naked virtually, and he has no dignity in dying. Uh, he is open to everyone who stands around gawking at you and spitting on you and mocking you. The cross was the epitome of helplessness and shame. What's interesting here is what Jesus teaches us, because he submitted to the evil, wicked world system, what he did was he turned that system on its head. When he went to the cross, he won by losing. That's just, we think about it, he, he won by losing. He got power by serving. He got riches by giving up his wealth. He turned the values of this world on its head. The glorification of power and privilege, of recognition and status of money and possessions. He exposed them and defeated them all on the cross. And it's so different and it's so backwards from what we expect. We expect him to come in power, and this is Peter, power and might, and he comes as a servant. He doesn't demand power even though he is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He submits to the powers that be. Jesus defeated evil, sin and death by willingly allowing himself to die on a criminal's cross. The, criminal, the, 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 the criminal's cross was one of the worst ways that a person could ever die. And he submitted himself. He says at one point, no one takes my life from me, I give it up. What happened on the cross is the king took the cross that you deserved. The king took your sin and your rebellion and your wrath. The king won the victory by giving himself as an innocent, an innocent servant sacrifice. So for the rest of the time that we have, I want to talk about, because we began talking about how do we how do we find the identity that God destined us to have and embrace? How do we find that identity? So I want to spend the rest of the time and just quickly move through that. So there should be in your notes, if you look at the, uh, the, the bottom, there's three points. And this is where we're going to spend just the rest of our time. It's not going to take a lot. We're just going to move through it rather quickly. So the question I ask here, the third question is, how does Jesus offer us a new identity? How does he do that? And there's three points here. The first one is, well, let me ask you this first. And I started talking about this at the beginning. Where do people today get their identity? Where do most people get their identity today? Um, Jesus makes a statement in the passage we read. He, notice what he says. He says, for whoever want, wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever will lose his life for my sake and for that of the gospel will save it. For what does, the, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his life? That word zoe for life, that word life is in the Greek, in, in the Greek word means, um, it refers to your identity, your personality, your selfhood, what makes you, you. That's what zoe means. It, what, it, what distinguishes you, what makes you valuable, what, where you should get your identity. And so Jesus is saying is that you, you, we look probably in the wrong place to get, the, get our identity. And here's how we do it. We find our identity 
there's three ways, and there's many ways we do it, but there's three ways I think we find our identity. First, we find our identity in what we have and what we own. Some of you are known by the car you drive. My, my father-in-law drives Chrysler. Um, I don't really care <laughs> what kind of car I drive, uh, or we, where I live, what neighborhood I live, what house I live in, what clothes I wear. Um, in, a, in other words, things tend to define me, right? But Jesus says you can gain the whole world and lose yourself. So many people are wor- working very hard to gain the world, but they're losing themselves day after day. Have you, have you felt that? Have you come to a place where you said, I don't really know who I am, and I, I don't really know where my life is going. I mean, I'm doing well, but I think I'm losing who I am. And we grasp onto these identities. I'm a mother, I'm a child, I'm a son, I'm a daughter, I'm a student, I'm an athlete, I'm this or that. But what happens when that gets ripped away? And we go, well, who am I? And that's the second way we find our identity is we find our identity in our family. Parents find their identity in their children. But then their children move out. And they go, now what are we? <laughs> right? Some of you are going through that time right now where your kids are all like out and they call it empty nest syndrome. I love it. It's great. <laughs> But there is a point where your life was so involved with your kids. Where do you have to get them? And what do they have to do? And where are they now? And what are they doing? And why did they do that? And what's wrong with them? And all these questions we have. But now they're out and we don't know what they're doing. And what we, know, what we don't know is good. <laughs> right? It's interesting to me that... Uh, uh, we, we, you know, uh, what happens when you don't have, a, you know, some of you came from homes where you didn't have a good family. So when we talk about family, you go, I don't know what you're talking about. Never really experienced that. It was passed here and there and everywhere. So the question is, where do you find your identity? Or sometimes we find our identity in our career and accomplishments. And much of Western culture is all about what have you done? What are you doing? What, how is your career going? What have you accomplished? Are you successful? And so the idea out there is to go out and find and get the, and, and the, uh, the, the younger generations are all over this. They're, I want a successful, uh, fulfilling career. And, you know, I think there, this started a long time ago, and it's a sad commentary in our culture, but our culture basically said to those stay-at-home moms, yeah, I guess you, if you want to settle for that, go ahead. But I'll tell you a little something. Even though our pop culture doesn't celebrate stay-at-home moms, Shame on us. Shame on us for not celebrating uh, mothers who stay home. And I know this, you know, you know, it's the old man on the hill, right? You know, yell, get a kids, get off. Then let me just, just for a minute, 
shame on us for telling women that you are not pursuing something hugely important by raising your children and being there when they get home from school. Uh, shame on us for that. Because now we've built this thing that to be a successful woman, you have to be out in the marketplace. Shame on us. I mean, think about that for a minute. If you had a week to live, if you had one week to live, and let's say you've lived a pretty good life and you've had a very successful career, if you could trade that career for spending time, more time with your children as they're growing up, which would you choose? I don't think there's a person in this room, a person listening online, a person at the campus would say, oh, I choose to go after the career. Most of us would say, I choose to stay at home with the kids. Again, I'm not trying to make a statement. Don't, I'm not throwing guilt down one way or the other. If you're out getting a career, don't, don't read. I'm just saying, what is our culture saying? What is our culture saying? Our, from what I can see, our culture is saying is you're settling for second best if you're not out there get, having a powerful, fulfilling, successful career. Making money, having power and success, being the best at something. These are all things that our pop culture idolizes. But what happens to most of us who fall short? right? Even worse, what happens when we are incredibly successful and reach the top of the ladder? We've gained the whole world, but we've lost our souls. And that's kind of what Jesus is saying is, you know what? You can go after all these things, and some of you are going to go after it, and you're never going to get it, but you're going to still lose your, you're going to lose your, you're going to lose your you in the process. You're going to allow your job or your boss or this to identify who you are. You're going to lose that. And some are going to, you're going to be the top of the ladder, the top dog. You're going to get everything. And you're going to get there and you're going to say, you're going to say, I got it all. I, I got everything. And I don't know who I am. And I don't know what the purpose of my life is. I've gained the whole world, but I lost my soul in the process. I believe many people today are experiencing disappointment and even an identity crisis because they have failed to gain the world or they've gained the world and they've lost themselves in the process. Jesus the King went to the cross to give you your identity and you must go to the cross to find your identity. That's where you find your identity when you go to the cross and you look up and you see your King on a cross for you. That's where you begin to get your identity. That's the foundation of your identity. What do you find at the cross? Three things. And this is where you'll, your notes will come in. You'll find a Savior who took your sin, your wrath, and your punishment and gives you His righteousness. And I've talked about this before. This isn't new with me. But two things that we have to really understand about ourselves... And there are really two sides of the coin. One is that we're sinners and that we need a Savior. 
that unless Jesus comes and, and takes the, our sin and takes the wrath that we deserve, unless Jesus goes to the cross for us, we're dead. But the good news is, not only did he take away our sin and take the wrath that we deserved, but he gives us his righteousness and he adopts us into a family. And now we're called his children, sons and daughters. Ephesians, Paul says this, and write this reference down, Ephesians 1.5, it says this, God decided in advance to adopt us into his family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. That's the adoption. This is what he wanted to do, and it gives him great pleasure. What, two things I find extremely amazing about this passage. One is that, that Jesus would, would provide a way so that I could be adopted as a son of God, and you could be adopted as a son or a daughter. We're adopted into a family. So the two sides of the coin are, I'm a sinner in desperate need of salvation, but I'm adopted son or daughter. I'm a child of God adopted in the family of God with all the privileges. The other part that's amazing to me is Jesus didn't whine about it. <laughs> oh, I got to go to the cross. This is so hard. I wish I didn't have to do it. You know, it's like Eeyore, you know. It, what does it say here? The verse is interesting. It says, it gives him great pleasure to do this. It was a gift that he gave. You know when you give those perfect gifts at birthdays or Christmas and you're so excited about the other person opening up and you go, I just can't wait till they open up. And they open up and they go, oh, I really love it. Oh, yeah. They're all excited. This is Jesus with us. So excited. So the first thing is you'll find a Savior who took your sin and wrath and punishment and gives you his righteousness. Secondly, you'll find a creator who made you with a divine purpose in mind. And I think this is what we're losing today in our culture. Because we've allowed so many things other than God, our creator, to define us. We've come up with our own definition of, and our own identity of who we are. It's like taking, uh, I did this today and I shouldn't have done it. I took a, I didn't have a, I had a hammer ready. I was painting and I had the lid off and I was putting the lid back on the paint uh, can. And Carol didn't like the colors, so I'm going to have to redo it. But uh, anyway, <clears throat> that being said, I'm working through all my emotions on that. <clears throat> but as I was putting the cover back on, I was uh, looking for a hammer to put the lid on, and it was on my bench. And right over here is my toolbox, and I know there's a hammer there, but I'm too lazy reach down and get a hammer but there's a crescent wrench right there and I get a crescent wrench and start bashing <laughs> bashing the if you don't know what a crescent wrench is you'll this is totally you go I don't know what you're talking about and you know the person next to you say well you know join the club we we wonder what he's talking about most of the time but that being said I was using the wrong tool for the wrong I mean it wasn't designed for that and many people say well this is this will work for that I guess that's what it is Here's the point. God has a reason for everything he does. When he created in Genesis, it was all according to a purpose. It was a plan. It was laid out. You are no exception. You are no accident. We have too many people in this world who are saying, you are an accident. You are not valuable. You are, have no purpose. You are nothing. And what the, the creator says 
is that you are not an exception. You are no accident. Um, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 say this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And then verse 10, we always stop at verse 9, right? But then verse 10, what does it say? For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What this is saying, it blows your mind, is before you were even created, God had a purpose for your life. That you're his masterpiece, you're his handiwork. He has a plan and a purpose individual for each and every one of you and for me. So wouldn't it make sense, I'm just asking, that if he is the creator of the heavens and the earth and everything that we know of the seen and the unseen, and he created us in his image, and he is the potter and we are the clay, wouldn't it make a whole lot of sense to say, what are you making me into? What would you like me to be? Instead of deciding, one more. You'll find an enduring hope that will sustain you no matter what life throws you. So Jesus, uh, in verse uh, nine, chapter 9, verse 1, he says, I tell you the truth, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God having come with power. Jesus basically is making a promise to his disciples that you're going to see the power of God displayed in your lifetime. And they did. Many of them did. But Jesus promises all the more, more than that. If you read the book, book of Revelation, it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. And basically what Jesus does there, he tells what happens, even though it seems like we're, th we're three quarters into this football game and we're behind 37 to nothing. When we get to the end of the game, the fourth quarter, we have a good fourth quarter. The good fourth quarter is that the, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords comes and he sets everything right. He, 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 he comes a second time and he comes in judgment and power and might and authority and he, he takes care of sin and death and evil and he casts the, the enemy into the lake of fire and he creates a new heaven and a new earth and everything is turned around and we win the game. The point that Jesus is making here is that we have hope that goes beyond the grave, that the best is yet to come. That's the Christian hope, that the best is yet to come. You think you've experienced the best? You haven't begun to experience the best. That's the point that Jesus is making. Now, I want to close with a quote. So every weekend we have these life groups that meet. <clears throat> and if you open them up, on the right side... There's a quote, and that's the quote I'm going to read. It's from C.S. Lewis, and he does such a great job. C.S. Lewis is going to summarize what I've been trying to say for the last 10 minutes, and he's going to say it so much better than I ever could. So I decided to put it in the notes, and this is what he says. Give up yourself, and you will find your real self. Lose your life, and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions, of your, and your favorite wishes every day and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have been given, no, nothing that you have not given away will ever be really yours. 
Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find Him. And with Him, everything else thrown in. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you that you created us with purpose and meaning in your image. That you have a plan and a purpose for every one of us. Help us to find our true identity in you. Help us to remember that the king got off of his throne came to earth and climbed up on a cross, a criminal's cross, and submitted himself to the powers of this world and gave his life so that we could live and gave up power and became a servant for us and took the wrath and the punishment that we deserve. Help us to understand, Father, that unless we go to the cross, we'll never find the real true, our real true identity. But when we begin at the cross, when we begin with who you are and your, what you have done, we will find who we are and what you intend to do in our lives. Father, if there's anyone here this weekend or joining us online who has never prayed to receive Jesus, they might want to pray a prayer like this. Dear Jesus, I realize that you're my only hope, that without you I have no identity. And I have raced after and gone after the things the world gone, has gone after, and I've found myself wanting and lacking and questioning who I am and where I'm going. But I thank you that as I pursue you, as I give myself to you, I will find myself and I will find life. Thank you for all that you've done for me. You gave your life to me and now I give my life to you. And Father, if anybody prayed that prayer, I'd let, pray they'd let somebody know that they trusted Jesus, they've crossed that line by faith. And... Uh, for the rest of us, Father, we would ask that we would not uh, pursue our identity in the ways, in the patterns of this world, but that we would look to our Creator and find our purpose and meaning in You. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.